Hey guys, you're listening to the Turning Point Podcast, where we talk about life lessons and how turning points can shape our journey. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Mike Watts. He's an experienced entrepreneur who has six startup companies under his belt. He's founded three consecutive multi-million dollar companies in the last 10 years. He even struck a deal with Damon John from Shark Tank, and we go over that story in today's episode. He's currently the CEO of Love Handle, a fast-growing American manufacturer of patent custom smartphone grips. If you're an entrepreneur or looking to be an entrepreneur, this is the episode for you. So stick around. This is episode eight, Becoming an Entrepreneur. Hi, Mike, and thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's my honor. Great. So I do like to start uh, learning a little bit about the guest's journey. And I know in this case, you know, you're a very successful entrepreneur. So I wanted to learn a little bit about that journey. Like, was this ambition always uh, in you as a kid? Or was it something that you nurtured growing up? Or you had a mentor that kind of changed that mindset for you to become more, more an entrepreneur, right? Instead of just having that nine to five. Right. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Manita. Uh, you know, it's, I feel like I probably have that blood type. I think that entrepreneurs in a lot of ways, you know, kind of know it deep down that they, that they have that drive exactly. to be their own boss and, and maybe the world's telling them, you know, something different. Uh, so they end up in different types of circumstances, but uh, I was blessed. I, I grew up now. My dad had a traditional job for 25 years, but then when I was in college, he, uh, he resigned and took a package out and started a, a party rental business. Him and my mom did. And, and so they, they were sort of my role models in that way and saw them take risks and basically put all their chips in the middle. And, and it's worked out. And they're over 20 years in business now. And um, so I, I saw that. And then I left and went into the corporate world like a, so many people do and, and ended up, well, I kind of felt like trapped in a cubicle and just really kind of up against a glass ceiling and super frustrated with, you know, the lack of recognition, the lack of, you know, additional compensation, representative mm -hmm. effort. And so uh, I was looking for a way to try to start some sort of side hustle. And uh, so I went and met with my parents and they had come across this really cool uh, type of product. It's a, it's, it's a polyacrylamide, it's a crystalline product that they were using for centerpiece decorations and weddings. And we figured out that we could grow plants out of it. And there was all kinds of cool stuff we did. And so, well, that sounds like a cool thing to, to start our first little side hustle with. So we started doing home and garden shows and, and really trying to just find a way to make extra money on the weekends. Me and my wife uh, partnered up out of one young child at that point. And uh, we would travel around to home and garden shows across the state and then eventually across the country. And, and uh, yeah, a bit like a, a carny operation. But I learned a lot, you know, about how to market products, how to sell products, what what types of products I wanted to look mm -hmm. for and uh, and what people wanted to, to see. And so that was sort of the beginning of my journey. That's amazing. That's great. I do like that you, um, not that I do like, but you started in corporate and kind of identified, right, that, you know, this is not for me. And I think that a lot of people that I talk to that are entrepreneurs uh, realize, hey, I'm, I'm more of a creative because I feel like entrepreneurs, sometimes they don't fall in that category of creatives, but you are because you feel trapped in that cubicle, right? In that corporate world where you can't just be free to go and build something that you like or create content or whatever it is that you're passionate about. It, it, it kind of, corporate kind of kills that, right? It takes it out of us. It's a little bit it, soul crushing if you want to, yeah, well, if you want to go that far. 
It, it can be, it can be. And again, you know, no shame in that game. If that's, mm -hmm. if that's your deal and you love the, the stability and the structure yep. of corporate environment, that's, that's fantastic. You know, and entrepreneurs, we need team members that are, are wanting to be part of, uh, you know, not necessarily in the driver's seat and that's, and that's great. But I think that, that my voice and, and my story speaks most to the people that do have that sort of burning desire deep inside, but they're not really sure sort of what next steps to take. And with that, I wanted to ask you, in your experience, uh, since you've gone through this before, uh, what resources do you think that are out there for those uh, new entrepreneurs, those newcomers? Well, it's a what a great world we live in mm -hmm. now. Yep. It's when I started this game, you know, the the internet was still very difficult to use and not not really reliable for search results. Um, you know, cell phones had just come out, and so that was a big win. So I could act like a company sort of on the side, taking calls in the bathroom, you know, things like that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, today that that has just mushroomed out. And so everything is at our fingertips. And I honestly believe that entrepreneurs have the advantage uh, where it used to be the other way around uh, because they can be agile. They can take risks that bigger companies and more established companies can't take. And But the resources that are there, obviously just the shared data, of research on the internet. I think a lot of people overlook that and they jump to, you know, this podcast or this book or whatever. But ultimately, because we can search for anything and get reliable results, that's that's an enormous thing not to overlook. Yep. Um, but then, you know, as it relates to knowledge and learning from those who've done it, again, we've never had this access to people that are just giving away their content for free. Uh, much like your listeners here, you know, they're investing the time to listen to this podcast and hopefully get something from it. Um, but there's, there's this one and there's so many more like it that you can just, you know, totally train your brain to be thinking about the types of things, opportunities, learn from other people's mistakes and just get the mindset, which ultimately is all that it comes down to mindset mixed with effort and, uh, and you can achieve whatever dream you want. Yeah, I agree. Do you think I've, I've noticed lately there's like a trend, I guess, in universities to kind of have an entrepreneurship like master's degree or something like that or a certification. Do you think that that's helpful or maybe having that real life experience, right, where where you're going to learn from your failures and that failure is going to become a lesson for the next thing that maybe you're going to build or networking a, a relationship that you need to build? Because um, I think it, they those classes could be useful. They could be a tool. But I don't know. I feel like real life experience might actually teach you even more. What do you think? You know, I think they both have value. Um, I actually have some personal knowledge with uh, some of the entrepreneur programs. Uh, we're located in Houston, Texas, and uh, I teach as a, a guest professor for their new entrepreneurship initiative at Texas A&M University, oh, awesome. which was my alma mater. And quite the honor. I actually had was an honor to be the first speaker in the first class that was accredited towards this new program. And and what they're trying to do is 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 right, I think, in that they're offering a minor or developing a minor in entrepreneurship that can be applied across any degree. Because whether you go to school to be a veterinarian um, or, you know, a business person, at some point you're probably gonna be running a balance sheet, you're probably gonna be doing marketing, you're probably gonna be you know, hiring people and, 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 and running a business. So you need to know how to do that. You don't know, just need to just know how to work on animals. And so I think it's super smart. And, you know, in my experience, at least that university is coming to the business community for guidance. 
And, you know, I was part of the team that was putting together the curriculum, which was very much focused on guest lecturers, people that are successful, that can come in and tell their tangible story, be mentors for these students. So I think pairing that with a traditional education, which is required. And, you know, if you're going to be an engineer, then, yep. you know, you're going to need to go to school <laughs> to figure <laughs> out how to not make my bridge fall down when I drive over it. But you probably want to know how to run a business, too. And it also I think it opens up your doors in the future to, to, to sort of tack in a different direction or at least keeps that open in your mindset. Yeah. And it's also great because then you get to meet other like minded people that can eventually become uh, you know, someone that can help you in the future. Right. So I think mm -hmm. that's also has a lot of potential right there. Um, I just, I just hired actually three students from the university of Houston entrepreneurship program, which is an elite program. Uh, you wouldn't think it thinking university of Houston, but it's up there with Harvard and Princeton and Purdue. And they, uh, it's in the top three and they only accept 20 students a year. And it's an amazing program where they actually give them, you know, $5,000 to go start an Amazon company. They, you know, are, they give them patents that they have to then develop the products, take them to market and really create a brand and, and a marketing plan and everything around it. So they try to make it as real world as possible, which is, you know, a hugely noble effort, but then under the guidance of, you know, real world mentors and, you know, professors that are very business minded. So I think that the, that the universities are responding to it. They're probably not doing it fast enough, but you know, it, it's nice to see them at least making the effort. There's only 20 people, right? That's only the amount of people that they accept. Is it for like, but, how many years is it? How long is the course or the uh, certification? That's a, it's a two year program oh, okay. to my understanding. Yeah. So they basically, it's uh, they, they get certain amount of way through uh, marketing or business degree. And then they, they, if they get selected, they get to go into this sort of focused entrepreneurial uh, initiative. Got it. That's mm -hmm. awesome. I love that. Yeah, yeah I wanted I wanted to have those students, you know, with that mindset and with that drive to work with me. And 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 I tell them when they walk in the door, I said, you're not going to work here forever. I don't want you to work here forever. But I think this is this could be the perfect stepping stone for you to come join somebody like me who has, you know, three consecutive multimillion dollar startups and learn from my mistakes and, and, and my wins and get in the trenches shoulder to shoulder with me so you can really see how it works before you go out on your own and start your own company. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's nice because it's like now you're learning from someone who, you know, essentially has become a mentor, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's great. Um, what would you recommend? Because I, I, I know a lot of people that are like, okay, I don't, I don't want to work for someone else the rest of my life, right? I want to do my own thing. What do you recommend to those folks who are like, I'm, I'm ready to quit my job, but their business idea is not really there yet, right? I guess they, they still are working to what they actually want to build or what they actually want to do. Um, and, and I guess part B of that question is also when is actually or, or the right time to maybe quit your full-time job and then and go and do your thing. And I know that's that's like that's a very compound question right there because I know I did like a part sure, one yeah. and a part <laughs> and a part two. Um, but I think it's a very it's a very important question because I think a lot of people struggle with that because they they want the job security because maybe they have responsibilities and they have a family. So they're unsure on when to take the leap. But then if you don't take the leap, then you feel like, well, what if, right? And you and that lives with you for a while. Right. So what do you think of that? I think it's a great question. And really, this is what it's all about. Um, and, and hopefully somebody can can get this because if they're saying, you know, when do I quit? I want to be an entrepreneur. 
you don't just walk into your boss and say, I quit. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I'm officially an entrepreneur. And they wave the, the flag and all of a sudden, you know, magic starts happening. That's not how it goes. Uh, that's not what I would recommend. What I did, uh, which I, I felt like was a really good way to do it, was I was burning all the extra time that I had. And extra, I mean, every weekend, every sick day, every holiday, I was working for uh, building my side hustle. And it grew and grew and to the point where I was able to scale it. Uh, I set up kiosks in the malls at one point. I had seven different locations around Houston while still running my full-time job. I had 20 employees working for me while I still had my full-time job. Um, I was starting to invest into uh, sourcing and manufacturing of products and warehouses so that I could run those businesses better, all the while still not letting go of that safety net just yet. But when the time came uh, and I knew it was time to go, mm -hmm. then it was a smooth transition for me because I had saved up the resources that I needed. I had a nest egg that I knew I could survive on for at least a year. And I had income coming from my side hustle already. And so even though I left the security of a high paying corporate job with benefits and pension and everything else for no insurance with three young children under five years old and uh, my wife who's stayed at home and it was just me. That was, you know, from the outside looking in, that seems like an enormous risk. But for me, because of the way I went about it, it doesn't feel like such a big risk. Exactly. I think that's great advice. And mm -hmm. and with that, I wanted to actually ask you, um, I think another part of it is how do we balance uh, working so much in, in our business and, and our family life? I think it's, it's important. And, and mind you, I've never been, you know, like an actual entrepreneur. I'm building my business. So it's like I'm putting a ton of work sure. on that. But I think it's important um, as an outsider, right, to, to just uh, have those conversations with your family where you're like, hey, I'm going to build this business. So the time that I'm home might be a little bit more limited than, than what I've been here before. Um, do you think those conversations are really important to have with with your spouse and your children? Definitely. I think everybody needs to sort of understand that, look, we're, we're in this together because as an entrepreneur, like in my situation, you know, I wasn't in it alone. It was all of us in the same boat. We were going to sink or we were going to sail, depending upon, you know, the results of this together. And it required both of us equally to believe in what we were doing and to uh, to understand that the sacrifices that we're going to be making both in time together early on and financially investing money that was, you know, money was tight and we just kept pushing it towards the, the business. And you just have to believe and you have to be on the same page, uh, particularly if you're married. Uh, the kids, it depends on their age, you know, whether they can understand it. They, they really couldn't understand it at that, that time. They just enjoyed when they got to go to the show. Uh, my oldest son, <laughs> he used to laugh. He was like five at the time. He was like, we're going to the hotel, you know, because we would always be out of town. He just like going. He always had to get a room with double beds so he could jump back and forth between the beds. But, you know, it's it it is a very personal question and it depends on you. But like any big venture, you're going to need to be completely transparent with with those of you, you know, that are in the boat with you. So uh, I think that's really, really important. But it's also, don't, you know. Don't make any mistake. Entrepreneurship is hard work. If you want an easy gravy train, keep that W-2 job, man. Just <laughs> keep keep riding that. But if you want to take the risks to potentially have an exceptional lifestyle, something that's outside of the ordinary and that you can achieve dreams that you can only get through being 
your your own boss and through owning the equity in the business, then that's uh, that's something that you're going to have to sacrifice your time and your effort away from things that you want to be doing and put those into the business early on so that it can compound over time. That's great advice. I like it. Um, for those listeners that, that, you know, are tuning into this, to this episode and cause this podcast kind of talks a little bit about health and business overall. So we have different uh, types of listeners for sure. Um, but for those that are that are coming to listen a little bit more about business and they're looking to build a product or are in the process of building it, um, how can they determine if what they're building it's good or not, right? Like, should they keep putting effort on that product? Like, how do I know? Hey, this this has great potential, or I still need to work to make it better, or maybe I should pivot into something else. Like, what do you think that they should do in that in that case? That's a great, great question. And it's, you know, one of those things that you got to be, you got to be first cautious about who you're asking. You know, you definitely have to ask other people uh, what their opinions are and not be so worried about hiding it in the closet because somebody's going to steal your idea. That doesn't happen as often as you think. What happens more often, way more often is people hide their idea long enough that somebody else comes up with the same one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's uh, people think, you know, I think most products out there were probably invented five or six times, maybe more before somebody ever took the leap and the effort to turn it into a real thing. And, um, you know, as far as how to go about determining if you're if it's a physical product or a service, whatever it is that you're starting, I, I, most of my experiences in physical products, we license patents and then we turn them into real products and then make them into household names and put them on the shelves of Walmart and everywhere. But you know, the, the thing you need to know early on is because everybody's going to tell you that your baby's cute, even if you got an ugly baby. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. You know, you never go, oh, it's a cute <laughs> baby. Oh, my God. Did you see that baby? Bless her heart. You know, uh, that is and, funny. And that's the thing. Like you have an idea, you go to your friend and say, Hey man, I had this invention for this thing. Look at it. Oh man. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. That's really cool, man. And then, so what do you do? Yo, you go out and you cash your 401k, quit your job, push all the chips in the middle. And, and all the while they're on the back of their mind, they're going, yeah, not really. Uh, but they're not going to tell you that. So the, this is a little thing you can do. Ask for some money, mm -hmm. make a sale, say, look, you know, much like the Kickstarter starter model, but do it on your own or, or do it on Kickstarter either way. But, um, see if people will actually give you money for it pre like, I don't have it yet. This is my idea. I'm going to make this and it's going to sell for about, let's say $50. And, but I'm going to give it to you today for 20 if you pre-order it, right? Which I'm going to lose money on, but I'm just trying to fund my development here and uh, see if people actually give you cash for it. Or if you can make a, a sample, even you can make a prototype and it, even if it costs you a hundred dollars to make it and it's a $50 item, sell it for 50 just to be sure that people will actually pay you for it. It's really important. Yeah. And I, you know, besides having the podcast, I work in the tech industry. And I think one good example, if if we go back in the day, right, when Mark Zuckerberg was building Facebook, there was like Friendster and MySpace. So there was already kind of a service or a product that you want to put it that way that was uh, serving people kind of the same, right? It was social media, you could connect with other people, you can MySpace, you could even put your own music. Um, and, and he saw what those two were lacking and built a product that satisfied 
new consumers that or or even the new generation right that their needs mm-hmm. were different to the current generation that was using MySpace and Friendster because now millennials started using Friendster and MySpace and now we have younger generations that used Facebook not so much anymore because now they're using other tools but other social media tools but it's interesting that sometimes you can even there's already a product already in the market and you can find what that product's lacking and make a similar one definitely Definitely. I mean, that's that's um, one of the best ways to do it or take two products and find a way to meld them together. You know, that's a lot of what we did with the love handle. You know, we're getting credit for having this great smartphone grip, but I'm standing on the shoulders of 3M who developed this mm-hmm. amazing adhesive that'll stick to anything. This has tons of applications, but I'm taking that technology and then I'm sticking it on this smartphone, which are the most amazing pieces of, of you know, physical technology that we've ever seen in our lifetimes in humanity and of putting those two things together by doing that and making the the interface of those two better. Now I get to take the cumulative experience from both of those things and make an even better product. So I I get to sort of stand on their shoulders and that that's a great way to do, um, you know, your product. And there's a Stephen key talks about that in his book. Uh, uh, Oh, what's the name of the book, but I'll think about it, but he talks about inventing, between the shelves, like, like if you walk down the, the aisles of Walmart and you're looking at, you know, stationary aisle and you look at pens, pencils, and then you've got, uh, you know, erasers over there, right? So somewhere in the middle, maybe there's a, a product that you could create that's a gap between this SKU and that SKU that would have multiple features or would do this better than that would do alone. And so you can work from the shelf backwards and in a purposeful way. So there's a lot of ways to go about it. But one of the the big things I think that people sometimes mess up on is that, A, they get emotionally caught up in the current version of their idea and aren't willing to accept ideas for revisions or change because they think it's perfect already. Again, with the, you know, blind love of a mother for the baby, it's perfect as (laughs) it is. But, um, you know, it's that's that's important. But then also. You need to be developing um, for the future, not for today, because it takes time to get a brand, a product and everything up off the ground three to five years. So if your product is going to be obsolete or less appealing in three to five years, by the time you get that big ball rolling, well, the market's already passed you by. Yeah, completely agree. Um and I know we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about if if you feel like entrepreneurs should uh, have some sort of education from a university that's uh, doing like a program or a life experience. Um, but do you feel that in order to be a successful entrepreneur, uh, a mentor is is a requirement? Or do you feel that maybe those life experience, that education from a university that has that particular program um, is sufficient enough I think that mentorship can take on a lot of forms and whether it's your ability to get someone like me to give you time, which is our most valuable resource and invest in you the, you know, that's, that's one scenario and that's fantastic. And that's probably the best thing you can do. You know, Gary V talks about this all the time. I do love uh, Gary V. Yep. And a friend and a, and a great guy. And he, you know, he's, He's focused on telling people to, to get out there and find somebody who's doing what you want to do and then go just volunteer your time as much as you can to, to be there of value to them. And so I think that's important. But it, if that's not 
you know, something that's maybe you don't live near a place where those you know people live or you just can't find somebody in your network. I, I believe that podcasts like this uh, can serve. Uh, books can serve to educate you on other people's stories that you can draw wisdom from that you can apply. So without having a direct, you know, human face to face mentor, I think, especially with t- today's technology, I mean, you can kind of get this most of the same effect, uh, you know, by just seeking it out. That's correct. I agree. So many resources right now, right? Like even meetups right now with yeah. meetup.com. You could just mm-hmm. go and meet a couple of people that have built a business and just get that feedback from them in person. So, so many ways to do it right now. Um, oh, yeah. We are we are an advantage for those who, who are looking to actually build something and get yeah. that that feedback. And entrepreneurs are willing to share. Like we we love talking about it, you know, what we've done and you know, everybody likes talking about themselves, but I think entrepreneurs especially <laughs> like, they're like, look what I did. This is so much fun. And let me show you how to do it. And we're not that worried about you, you know, running out and copying this or anything like that. It's just like, we love it and we want other people to get to love it too. And, um, so I know that, um, you made a deal with, uh, Damon John from Shark Tank. So I wanted to cover a little bit about that. And, um, and also like, how was it, just going there because I personally would be super anxious and I would be practicing so much that I don't even know if I would just ruin it because I practice so much. Um, but that's just, that's me because I, right. I, w- I would go wanting to perform and do my best that I would probably rehearse this like 20,000 times. Uh, yep. But what about your experience? Actually, let's let's learn a little bit more about that. So, um, so the reality is, is that I was never on an aired episode of Shark Tank, uh, so you didn't never see me on TV. Nope. Um, though I did, we we auditioned twice and made it to almost to airing twice. Um, we never pitched in front of the sharks, uh, but for whatever reason, my mom always said I had a face for radio, which is probably why they didn't put me on TV and why I'm doing podcasts <laughs> now. <laughs> Just kidding, but uh, you know it was such a cool story. Like I was really convinced that I was going to, that, that was my destiny. I was like a lot of entrepreneurs out there, like Shark Tank's your favorite show. You've watched every episode, you know, all the deals you pause it and you consider whether or not you would invest or what's the pluses and minuses of this product or that product. And, you know, you see people's pitch and like, I had my pitch down, like it was rock solid. I was good. I was going to be able, it was going to be funny and it was going to be entertaining. And our product was the most demonstrable and like relevant product. And every time I'd see a product on there, I'd be like, oh, it's so much better than that product. They're definitely going to pick us. Uh, but, you know, they get so many applications and ultimately it's a TV show. And so they're looking for that backstory that's, you know, I built this out of a, you know, I served in the military and then I built this product out of necessity. And now it's like they want something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Me, it just wasn't that sexy because I licensed my patents from other inventors and let them go back to the workshop because I'm a big believer in personality types and I'm a marketer and, and they're inventors and they're better off in the workshop and I'm better off, you know, pitching products and, and making videos and packaging d- designs and things like that. So um, we ended up not making it on the show. But what was cool is that I was, uh, you know, we sent a bunch of samples up there. I was monitoring my website, and one day I saw an order come across on my website at lovehandle.com. It's Damon John's company uh, called Shark Group. He's got a consulting group, great group, branding group. Um, 
out of New York City, and I saw that they were ordering my product. I was like, whoa, Damon John's ordering my product. <laughs> this is amazing. And I'm like, because he was like my target shark. I have so much respect for the man. He's just so hardworking um, out of the whole crew. And I've met most of them. He's, I think he's the hardest working guy, my personal opinion. But he, uh, he his team was ordering the product. So I took the, took the step to actually make some custom ones with his new book that he had just come out with. At the time was The Power Broke. And uh, I sent that over and I sent a bunch of cute samples and I sent some that said the shark group on them and just really trying to get the, the office to fall in love with it. And this is a, you know, like a little aside tip for people. If you're trying to break through, whether it's a celebrity or, you know, somebody of influence or even a company, understand that all those, that all those people have gatekeepers. And so going after the gatekeeper is the key, whether it's a secretary, office manager, or even an intern or something like you need to come in from the bottom typically instead of trying to go to the top. That's the most effective way to get there. And so I started doing that. I built relationships with some of his team members and uh, gave them product. They all fell in love with it. And next thing you know, a couple months later, phone rings and it's uh, Damon's head of uh, president of Shark Group saying, hey, Damon's super impressed with you. He's super impressed with your product. He doesn't do this, but he wants to work with you. I'm like, really? So then I'm like, okay, cool. Now I'm in shark tank pitch mode. I'm like, okay, well I have my valuation here and it's going to be like, uh, you know, this is my valuation and I can offer this percentage for this amount of money. And he's like, no way. Hey, hold on, hold on. on." He's like, we're not really talking about a lot of money here. Like you need to understand what Damon can bring to the table. I was like, okay, well that's interesting. Let's talk. And it actually took quite a while for us to come up with a deal that was a win-win, but it has been the best thing. We're finally able to make a deal together, which was a, like a sort of a trigger based deal based on performance. And he, of course, blew it out of the water, got us on, you know, today's show and good morning America and the view and uh, home shopping network, like right out of the gates and was able to blow ourselves up for us just by his network. Right. So don't never underestimate the power of people that have the right kind of network. And so not only did, uh, did that start, but I had a very focused goal of t- to not ask anything of him um, and to just continue to add value because I saw immense amount of value in the relationship with Damon. And uh, because I continued to just add value, add value to him as every opportunity I got when I saw he's promoting something, I would provide product for him to help promote it. Um, when he was out doing something, I would help tell the, you know, the world about what he was doing and try to just benefit him every, every t- turn I got. And so, over time, you know, he, that drew some respect from him. And then, you know, my experience in, in starting companies and then now our company's performing quite well. And so it's pretty amazing because now we're personal friends. He's, uh, you know, in my mind, the, the ultimate mentor is now my actual mentor. I can call him anytime I want. And he, uh, he'll guide me and give me advice and point me in the right direction when I have an issue. And, uh, you know, then I, you know, if we get to go to cool events you know went to dinner one night and mark cuban sits down next to me and got to hang out with all those guys and ended up at jamie fox's house and like just wild stuff (laughs) but it's uh it none of that would have happened if i hadn't first had the belief and the focused vision that i wanted to do a deal with the shark i wasn't sure how it was going to happen but i was persistent and i was 100 percent unwavering that i was going to make it happen one way or another and uh, didn't happen the way i thought but I, i think in the end it made it a whole lot better this is amazing. This is just a mind-blowing story because you auditioned, like you didn't get the deal there, 
But then it, right. it, it happened, right? Because so when you audition, you're you're doing the whole like like we see it on TV, right? You come in through those doors and you're doing your whole pitch, and they're talking to you. So you didn't get you saw him, right? But you didn't get that the deal that day. It just happened. Nah, uh, I wish uh, later. it was that cool. Yeah, nah, it's not that cool. It was all video. It was all videotapes. Oh, point. it was all videotapes. Because yeah, I thought it was, it was all... like actually you went in there and pitched, but it just never aired. If you get to that, yeah, the final, that's the final level. So your first level is like an in-person interview with the producers. And uh, we got through that easily. And then the next one is like a, uh, you have to fill out like a, it's a nearly a hundred page application that you have to fill out with all your, everything you could think of. And you got to fill it out in blue ink. It took me hours and hours, days actually, to completely fill this thing out. And you send it in with a 10 minute video. And then uh, if that goes through, then you they go one more follow up video video interview before you would actually fly you out to Studio City to to go on set. So that was the point where we fell off two years in a row. And uh, but we did, you know, send samples up there, did everything we could to try to up our chances. But it just didn't work out. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't. Well, I would assume that there's some kind of pre-screening process before you actually go in. But I thought it was like you were there and they just didn't, it didn't air. Okay. Yeah. I see. Yeah. No, wow. I do have a friend though that that happened to. Uh, she was, uh, and she, uh, Michelle Weinstein, she actually has her own podcast too called Success Unfiltered. And she was, uh, she pitched and, uh, and didn't make a deal. But I guess it just wasn't, you know, jazzy enough or, or for whatever reason, they never aired it. So she did go pitch the Sharks, did the whole song and dance, but never came on TV. Oh, okay, so that does happen. It does. Yeah. In fact, they, over 50% of the pitches never show. Never show. Really? But again, yeah, it's it's a show, right? So we, we need to keep the ratings up, you know, that, that's yep. what they care about. So they're going to put in, in the show whatever's the most compelling story, whatever's the most heartfelt story. Because most of the time when you watch that show, a lot of a lot of people are, you know, they have the stories that you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you actually build a business after going through that horrible experience. Right. So I think right. those are the ones that, that kind of touch in the heart to a lot of people that watch that show. So I think that's that, you know, that's the end goal too to kind of get those ratings up because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important. And I don't I don't cry so easy. So it wasn't going to work too good for me. <laughs> you're like, oh, I lost it there. <laughs> no, oh, well. <laughs> Well, Mike, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it because I think like you shared a lot of knowledge, a lot of your experience that entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast are going to get so much value out of. So I really appreciate that. And uh, and as I wrap up, I, I do like to ask my guests is if there's any books or blogs or movies or, or anything in general that has really made an impact, which I might know the answer to this one but I'm still going to ask the question that has made a really big impact in your life um, that you can share with, with the listeners. Definitely. Uh, you know, again, mindset is everything. Believing is everything. And so the, there's a couple of books that, that really point to that. There's a bunch out there. I could go on a super long list of books, but uh, my number one go-to book is Think and Grow Rich. Uh, Napoleon Hill. It's something I listen. I listen, have the audiobook. I listen to it once every quarter. So four times a year, I listen to the entire book. It's a very, it's written back in the thirties and right after the great depression. And uh, it was a lifelong work by the author, uh, who was commissioned by Dale Carnegie to study the most successful people ever. Uh, so he studied in Fords and Rockefellers and, 
um, these just all the amazing people and life and uh, uh, it's it's you just have to you have to listen to it so that's amazing and then even bef- uh, another one is maybe less known is called the art of exceptional living with by Jim Rohn and again an old book it's funny because you listen to the audiobook and it's like included on these tapes are your information about how you're going to change your life, you know, because when they, this thing first came out, it was on cassette tapes inside the old book, you know? So those oldies, but goodies are really rocks for me because they, they very much speak to the power of your mindset and preparing your mind to, for battle. Cause it's essentially what you're doing when you head into the field of entrepreneurship. That's great. And I took note of those because I definitely want to take a look. Um, I'm always interested in reading uh, those type of books. So, um, And I think the listeners will actually read them as well. I try to always ask that question at the end. And, and I get all, always so many different responses, so many different books. And I think it's just great to actually share that with um, those resources with, with everyone. Um, so thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Again, I can't say that enough. That That story was just great. It's just so inspirational and so it, it gives people motivation right and and just to keep going and and i think that's that's the best uh that's the best story that i've heard <laughs> I, have to, right, right. I have to say that i just have to say that so i really appreciate your time and being here and, and again thank you so much yeah thank you so much marita and if anybody wants to connect with me i i try to make myself truly available um, to entrepreneurs uh, through uh, instagram and linkedin mostly so i'm at mike watts on Instagram. And uh, you can find me under Mike Watts on LinkedIn. I have a a show that I'm going to be launching there under LinkedIn Live. But, you know, ultimately, I want to give back. I feel like I've I've just been so blessed to to come through this time and uh, and create the businesses and the opportunities that I have that I want to see the next generation do it even better. Yeah. And I respect that. And that is so nice. So that's great. All right. Thank you so much. And that is a wrap for episode eight, Becoming an Entrepreneur. I hope you really loved this episode. My story is so inspirational, motivational to take something and build it into a multi-million dollar business. So if you're really loving the podcast, share that link with everyone you know, the Spotify link, the iTunes link, the Google Play link, the turningpointpodcast.com. And if you want to contribute to the podcast, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash turningpointpodcast. And with that, I leave you for today. See you next time. Peace out.